0: In a world where it seems like there is so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who spend their lives doing good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the podcast, I am so happy to welcome Ashley Stone. Ashley was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, and raised in St. George, Utah. She's the middle of five children. And Ashley has been in recovery from addiction for nine and a half years, and she spent years helping those who are still struggling. She works as a senior account executive for a software company in the addiction recovery space, and most importantly, is a mother to two beautiful children, Jane and Calvin. Ashley loves running half marathons, riding bikes, and being outside in the St. George sunshine. Ashley started a podcast called Come Back featuring stories of those who have come back to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Ashley has made it her mission to share her story and let others know that they can come back to the gospel after struggles. Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to come on Doing Good today. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to be here. So it's so funny when I saw your name on the podcast, I am good friends with Brooke Stone and Oh my plan- gosh. Together. Oh, I know. So we've done stuff for years for, with Time Out for Women and Girls with Mercy River. And I mean, I've known those ladies for a long, long, long time. So I started following your podcast when it came out just a little while ago. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Ashley seems so amazing. So then when I saw that you were coming on my podcast, I was so excited to talk with you because I had so many questions and was just so intrigued by your amazing story and by your mission of starting this Comeback Podcast. Yeah. So I want to ask you, first of all, let's just kind of go back to you and growing up in St. George. Tell me a little bit about yourself, what your childhood was like, what things you were drawn to, your passions and then what started your path on addiction?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I was a really good kid. I was very, just always wanted to do the right thing and always was just wanted to be good. And I, I remember when I was like seven, eight years old, I was at my aunt's house and I read this children's Bible and I felt that was like the first time I ever felt the spirit. And it was like so strong. And I went up to my mom and I was like, Mom, I have this warm feeling inside. And she's like, oh. she's like, Ash, that's the Holy Ghost. And and I will never forget that because it was really like my first time feeling the spirit. And I just was really sensitive to the spirit at a young age. I, I always wanted my family to do what was right. And I always wanted to do what was right. And I like I was always the top of my class in elementary school. And My third grade teacher even wrote me a note that said she hopes her daughter grows up to be just like me. And she would definitely be taking those words back if she saw me as a middle schooler. (laughs) Uh,
0: No way. Um, Yes. But
1: like at the time that that was just how I was like, I, I remember I never got in trouble in school except for one time. And it was for balancing something on my head. And it like scarred me because I was so. I never wanted to get in trouble and it's interesting because now I'm I I went through this phase of like being really really bad and rebellious but now I'm I'm like back to that same like childhood way like you know if my husband is you know driving over the speed limit or something I'm like stop oh my gosh like I just I'm very I I like to be a rule follower yeah. and I like to do what's right just because it's in my nature so anyway, as a kid, that was just kind of who I was. And I, yeah, like I just, I really had a testimony at a young age. And, you know, if my dad ever like said a swear word, I was like, oh my gosh, like just, you know. And then in middle school, I started to just Feel really insecure and you know all the all the things that middle schoolers go through it's a really hard time of life. yeah <laughs> and I really started to struggle and I remember I was in it was the summer before ninth grade and the I was at the cool kid from the high schools he was like a basketball star and I was at his house and his cousin was smoking pot with all of the cool kids from high school and I was like you know I'll just try it and see like what happens. And after that, it was like, I was waiting for a feeling of like, stop, no, don't do it. But like, I just kind of like, you know, didn't really feel that. So I was like, I'm just going to keep, keep going. And I tried it. And then afterwards it kind of, I didn't really get high the first time, but I was just like, you know, that didn't feel, it just was kind of, I don't know. And so it was really when I drank alcohol for the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, I have confidence for the first time in my whole life. And yeah, it it really just like lit this like fire in me. Like I, I felt confident and I could do anything and I could talk to anybody. And I was like only in ninth grade at the time. Like I was very young and I just really started getting into some not good stuff. Like me and my friends would You know, do all kinds of things that were not good, and I was hanging out with older guys, and just I didn't really. I lost that like church, like desire to go to church or have anything really to do with the church. It wasn't that I was against it. I just I was doing Mm -hmm. other things, and and then I started to. It just progressively got worse. I had an older boyfriend. He was a lot older than me, and. I just didn't come home for like two weeks. My parents, I was 15 at the time, or sorry, 16 at the time. And my parents were, they were like, where is our daughter? She's vanished. They knew I was dating this older guy and it was really hard for them. And I can't even imagine as a parent now, I'm like, how could I do that? To my parents? Yes. And, yes. But I just was in another Like I can't even relate to that person that I was at the time, but my parents, they ended up sending me to an adolescent facility when I was 16, which was totally warranted. It was like if I was if my daughter was acting the way I was acting, I would absolutely send her to a place like that too. (laughs) But I was there for 15 months when I was 16. I graduated high school there. It was a lockdown facility. It, you know, you go in there and they take your tweezers, they take your razor, you can't shave your legs, you everything that you like can identify yourself with or anything that makes you feel cute like is gone and there's all these girls in there with their bushy eyebrows and like unshaved legs <laughs> and it's just like this really interesting twilight zone that you're in and oh, goodness. Yeah, it was wild. So I I did that and I I my therapist there was he ended up becoming like a to this day he was a bishop and that kind of felt like something that reminded me of home like sure you know he and he was just kind of like a father figure to me there and he still to this day is a, a friend of mine and anyway so i am very grateful that i i went there i don't think i would even be here today if i hadn't have gone there so but it didn't last long do you want me to just like keep going with my story here yes
0: i i'm just i want i'm so interested in it and i i just i can't i I have so many, like everything you say, you're just like dropping all these bombs. I'm like, wait, what? No, <laughs> so, but no, I do want you to keep going. But I did want to ask you, what, what were your parents thinking or doing at this time when you, did they know you were drinking and doing drugs? I mean, obviously they sent you to the facility when you started dating this, but what was their reaction? Were they, Were they like, you can't do that or you're grounded or stop doing that? Or were they just like, we don't know how, to control yeah. you. How- I was yeah, they didn't they couldn't control me.
1: I was I lied about everything. I was such a liar and they I remember them taking me in the middle of the night to get drug tested and I just like was acting crazy and I don't know like I I was they couldn't control me. I was just so defiant you know and I just you like how like, it, it, like yeah, I would no, out. yeah you can't see this boyfriend anymore like you can't well they I kept everything really secret and and it's interesting because looking back on that time I had so much anxiety like because I would like live this double life and keep it all hidden and keep it like in this box but I was so not happy. Like I remember writing my journal and just saying like, I hate my life. I hate my life. And I was so miserable. And, and the only release I had was alcohol and drugs. Like that was the only thing that made me feel better. Right. Because
0: it numbed everything else. Did did you ever feel like at, at the moment you got to the recovery facility or the rehab, did you feel like, okay, maybe this is a way to turn it around or were you just angry that you were there? When
1: I got there, I was angry. When I first got there, I was so mad. I couldn't believe my parents would send me there, and the girls there were like, "You're going to be here for at least a year." And I was like, "No way! My parents are going to come get me. There's no way." Yeah. But they didn't come get me, and I, I, you know, like it. Then it's it sunk in that I was going to stay there. Like, and is that a year of no
0: contact, or could
1: they visit you and see you? It was. I didn't see him for six months. I was in there for six months before I could see him. Yeah. (sighs) That yeah. is a long time. It is a long time, and we could write letters, and but you know, and it's funny because now my work—I work for a software company that's, you know, it, it does software for these programs. So yeah. <laughs> it's a circle for sure. But yeah, so it just was. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy time, but. When I got out, I, I was grateful that I went there. I graduated high school there. I would have never graduated high school had I not gone there. And I it taught me that I could be sober and have fun and feel okay sober. So that's what it taught me. Okay, And it didn't last long. I went back to drugs as soon as I got out. And that boyfriend I had been dating, I got back together with him. And he was doing heroin when I got out. And so I was, you know... I just, I, it was weird. Like, I don't know why I didn't have any like thought of, I shouldn't do this. This is really bad. But I just didn't, like I didn't, I don't know why I, I, it it was weird. Like, I think my parents, they never talked to us about drugs when we were kids. Like it was very, and I asked my mom, I'm like, why didn't you guys like talk to us about that kind of stuff? Yeah. I never thought you guys would do anything like that. Like it was just, I had no idea that we even needed to talk to you about that. And she, you know, like we all just, nobody knows what to do in that situation. And so anyways, I just kind of fell off the deep end. I was in and out of jail, in and out of rehab. My dad, he really stepped up and did dropped his whole life to try and rescue me. And we have a really special bond now because of that, and he just put his whole life on hold. He was a teacher at the university, and he just like would call his supervisor and be like, "Hey, I'm taking my daughter to rehab. Like, I'm not going to be in for a week. Like, see ya." And and it meant a lot to me. And I I truly think that you know even my mom she she had like four other kids you know at home, and she's like, "I got to take care of these other kids. Like, I can't. I yeah. can't." Her heart was broken, like I'm was sure. Days, like i I had to like just separate myself from it because I was so hurt and it was like they couldn't sleep like it was just awful so anyway yeah my I was living in a drug house in Arizona. my boyfriend it was, this is a different boyfriend this is like a couple of years into this, but I was living I was a different boyfriend his uh his parents were using and selling drugs his little brother was on drug, like just complete drug house. And and like this, it was sad. Like we all wanted to stop. We all wanted to get clean. We knew our life our lives were in shambles. And but we all were in chains to this drug. And we we used to live and we lived to use. And that was our yeah. Life. yeah. yeah. Finally, I called my dad and I'm like, I, I can't, like, I'm going to die. And I knew I was going to die. And so my dad, he came again and rescued me. He picked me up from the house and he's like, you know, if I take you to rehab, are you going to do it? or Are you going to run away? And I, it was that moment that I was kind of like, I literally don't have it in me. Like, I don't have it in me to keep going with this. Like, it just was exhausting to find money for drugs and then like the whole runaround was just exhausting. And and I, I like I said, I knew I was gonna die if I kept going. So it was kind of like a surrender moment for me where I was just like, Hey, let's do this, Dad. Like I put my seatbelt on and he drove me from Mesa, Arizona to Fresno, California. That's a really long drive. And he dropped me off at a cold turkey detox. And I had been to all of these treatment centers that were you know they were giving me like all these pills to like help me get off the drugs this was a cold turkey detox and it was the first time I had ever been through a cold turkey detox so I'm coming off heroin all everything under the sun pretty much is what I was coming off of and I was in there with it was free to Fresno County residents so I was in there with like all the gangsters and Fresno is like famous for its gangs. And so a lot of gangsters in there. Oh my gosh, Ashley. It was crazy. So I'm in there for
0: 10 days and then my dad takes me to the Salvation Army. But wait, I have to ask you, how did you survive that? Like when you talk, oh yeah, I went cold turkey. I, I can't even imagine like the pain and discomfort and fear that that 10 days was for you. Yeah. Like I I had surgery a few months ago and had pain medicine for that and even coming off of that like a prescribed amount of time, I had a weaning process. It was like 4 days of it, of you know what. Like it That's- was horrible. I'm like what is wrong with me? And my yeah. dad's a doctor and I called him. And he's like, "You have just been taking prescription drugs for your for your stomach for this so your body's but some people they don't have as big of a reaction to it it's not yeah, as yeah. big of a deal I did and I cro- I felt like there was bugs underneath my God. skin. Yep. And this is like uh, this is like a, a legal prescription. Like I can't God. imagine being like coming off of something like heroin cold turkey like what how did how did you survive that? literally
1: well I will tell you how I survived it I I my dad was dropping me off and I was starting like we had been driving for a couple days so I was already starting to like go into withdrawals and I had a prescription to Xanax and I ate this huge handful of Xanax right before I went in there and then I slept for like a day and a half and my dad's like I'm like just putting these Xanax in my mouth as fast as I can and my dad's like holy crap my kid is going to die like ah, oh my gosh yeah I'm, I'm sure that probably would have killed a normal like person but oh my I I just and then after that I just like went in there and I mean it was really bad I remember walking the halls like me and this other guy that was like definitely you know some had a hard like, life <laughs> had a hard life yeah and we were walking the halls at in the morning because we couldn't sleep and just sick and like the feeling it feels like a lion is like in your chest and you like can't get it out like it's just it's an indescribable feeling but it's the worst torture that you can pretty much ever go through I think that the anxiety that you feel it's almost worse than like the physical like body aches and like your nose is running like all of that it's like the anxiety of it like reality hitting you in the face and just like you're so discontent like that's the only way
0: to just yeah yeah did, and yeah go ahead who were you at this point turning to god and jesus christ for relief or were you still that uh, at this point? so i had a book of mormon with
1: me and my my scriptures and i i did have that with me but i wouldn't say that i was like really turning to god at that point I, I did pray, and I used to, like, write these prayers down in my journal, like, begging God to get me out of my addiction because I knew, like, it was so bad. Yeah. And so in that aspect, yes, but, like, there is this connection that you have with God when you're at your rock bottom where it's, like, your life is in shambles and you are just so desperate for something. And so I did feel a connection to God in that aspect. and But I was just so consumed by like what was going on and but anyway yeah I I think my dad was my biggest anchor at this time like he was the only one answering my calls he was the only one like he went to the store and bought me a carton of cigarettes like my dad's like this you know he's very a righteous man that is so just has a heart of gold and so I'm sure he's like oh my gosh
0: (laughs) buying my daughter cigarettes
1: (laughs) yeah right but he did that for me because I needed it at the time. And he knew. Right. That. Yeah. And so anyways, yeah, I, when he took me, he actually came all the way back. He lived in St. George and he came all the way back after my 10 day detox, just to take me from the detox to Salvation Army. Cause he was worried if he didn't do it, that I would run away. Yeah. So he's seriously amazing. And the greatest example of christ-like love that i've ever seen in my life so he yeah so he came and we went to the salvation army and they were like hey you have to test clean if you're gonna be able to come into the program and i they drug tested me and i still tested dirty for xanax and i don't think i tested dirty for opiates but definitely pot and xanax and and for by some miracle they let me in anyways which in no a way is totally unheard of for the salvation army they're very very strict and there's a huge line of people trying to get in every Thursday morning or whatever day it was. And they and they only do intakes on certain days. And there was only like 10 women's beds, there was like 80 men's beds, but there's only 10 women's beds. And so it was a miracle that I even got in. Yeah. And so I I went there and when I first got there, they had me sign this paper that was like saying that I was going to conform to the the Salvation Army's religion. And I was kind of like, that feels kind of weird because, you know, I do still believe in the church. Like, yeah, believe the church was true. So that felt a little weird. But I was like, whatever. Like, I just didn't. I don't know. Like, I was like a mess. I didn't really care. It did like make me think for a minute though. So I'm in there a couple weeks and I'm just like, I don't think I can do this. I'm, I was working 40 hours a week in the warehouse. That's part of the Salvation Army program. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. This is just so like hard. And they, they want me to be part of their religion and all this stuff. And then the preacher brings me into his office. He has like regular visits with, You know, everybody in the program, and he brings me in his office and he's like, Okay, Ashley, choose a Bible for you to use while you're here. I'm like, Okay. So he has this shelf with a hundred Bibles on it. And I'm like, I'll take the pink Bible. And he hands me the Bible and I open it up and there's a Book of Mormon bookmark in there. And I was like, No way. I couldn't believe it. I like, and I didn't say anything to him because he, you know, like I just saw that and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like that was, God telling me, you are in the right place. Yes. I'm here. Like, I, you are in the right place. Aww. I couldn't believe it. And I was the only like person with LDS back, background in this whole place. Like, oh, wow. It had come, somebody obviously had donated that Bible and it had come through the line of like the yeah. Salvation Army stuff. And yeah, it was just a miracle. It was this little it, miracle yeah. that I have hung on to. So anyway, and that was one of the miracles. Another thing that I saw while I was there was, like, I would be ready to quit. Like, I hate this place. This place sucks. It's slave labor. I would tell my parents that all the time that it was slave labor. And and then I would see a shirt come through the line. Like, I would be tagging clothes and sorting through stuff that was donated. And I would see a shirt come through the line, and it would be, like, an EFY shirt. And it would say, like, oh, (laughs) God has your back, or something like that. And it would be like a message, exactly like exactly what I needed at that time. And so it was just little things like that I would see all the time. Or there would be a song that would come on the radio and it would be, it would just speak to me. And I think that when you're new, new in recovery and your heart is like still kind of hard and you're like from a long time of like just hard heart. Yeah. (laughs) That God really like, He speaks to you in these like really obvious ways that are like you can't be they can't be denied because that's how you need to be that you need that at that time like because you can't really I think now like I think God requires more fates from me like He yes me to search for those little miracles because you're stronger now I am stronger yeah and but at that time it was like he was like smacking me in the head like I hear he yeah. said, like, yeah. you can trust me. You got this. So towards the end of the program, I got an email from, he's actually the librarian of the adolescent facility that I went to. And he was friends with my aunt and he wasn't, an, he was also a member of the church. So we really connected on that when I was in the adolescent program and he emailed me and he was just like, I told him where I was. And he's like, Ashley, if you read the book of Mormon every single day, I promise you will never go back to your old life. And I was like, I don't think that's true, but you know, I have nothing really big promise. Yeah, big yeah. promise, and I was like, I have nothing to lose at this point. I'm, you know, I might as well just give it a try. Sure. So I started reading Mormon, and I started reading it every single day. And then, which by the way, I've read that I've read my Book of Mormon, even if it's one verse every single day since he told me that. By the way, side note. <laughs> but anyway, so I after that, I I got out and I went back home to St. George and I was like, you know what? I don't like, I couldn't imagine a life with, especially without alcohol. I was like, how could I be happy and like have that confidence and that like fun if I'm not drinking alcohol? Like I cannot do drugs. Like I, I feel like I could not do that, but you know, without alcohol, like I have to have at least alcohol and But alcohol had been the tipping point for me in the past that took me back to drugs. And yeah, but I just couldn't imagine my life without it. And but I was like, you know what? I'm going to just try the church thing. I'm going to experiment and I'm going to try it and I'm going to see if it makes me happy. And if it doesn't make me happy, then I'll drink again. And if it does make me happy, then I'll just like see how it goes so I did everything I had to do to get my temple recommend. I met with my bishop. I stopped smoking. I stopped chewing at gum. I stopped drinking coffee. And that was really hard for me. I did that uh, for quite a few years. So, And I'm 23 at the time, by the way. So I quit doing all of these things. And I finally got my limited use temple recommend to go do baptisms for the dead with my singles ward. And I go to the temple with them. And it was like, cool. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. And I was kind of expecting this like angels to come down. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, you've arrived. But it wasn't like that. It wasn't like this big, like shining moment. But yeah, it was I I was like, I feel better than I did before. Like I I do. I feel better than I did before. So I'm going to just keep going with this. So. I just kept going and I just kept taking the next right step. And and then I went to California. I was working in California. I did door-to-door sales there, which I loved, by the way. I know people probably think that's weird that I loved it, but I loved it. Yeah, It was a great experience for me. And while I'm out there, I, I knew that I had a... a tr- a charge that I got in Arizona that was, I had a warrant for my arrest. And I'm I'm selling in California and I'm meeting with my bishop regularly. And I knew that I had to go turn myself into the jail in Arizona. And I was terrified. I'm in the Relief Society presidency at the time, by the way. Oh my goodness, Ashley. So I'm in the Relief Society presidency and I have to go turn myself into the jail in Arizona. And my bishop's like, you know what? I have a cousin out there that I'm going to like introduce you to. Maybe they can help you find a place to go because I had to do I had to go to jail for two weeks and do like the the overnight sleeping at 10th City in Arizona, which Tent City is like shut down now. But it was a famous jail. And so my bishop, he's going to he's going to introduce me to his cousin. And so I and I also had to go on house arrest after that. So I had to have an h- ankle monitor on. So I did have to find somewhere to live in Arizona. So he calls his cousin and he's like, hey, can this girl come stay with you guys while you're... He's going to uh, go to jail for a few weeks, but that's that just going to come out. And yes, exactly. uh, right. Oh my and God. this family, they have five little kids and her name's Stacy, the mom, and the husband's name's David. And they're like, let me get back to you. And then they think about it and they're like, yeah, we're going to let her stay uh. with us. <laughs> And looking back on that, I'm like, holy crap. I don't know if I could do that. Like my little kids at home, like, I don't know if I could do it. And he felt the spirit prompt her to let me come stay with them. So I'm staying at their house and I'm only like a year and a half sober at the time. And she, this family is like my second family to this day. Like we are the best of friends and the the dad David he is a actually a judge in in Arizona and he was driving me to the jail and dropping me off so that I could go sleep there and do my my time in jail way, oh, yeah and we just became best friends like i love this family with my whole heart like i just was out there a couple months ago at their son's wedding and they, they call, they are my, what they call themselves my adopted parents. And yeah. Yeah. And I call them my, you know, adopted mom. And oh and their kids are, I don't know, like they're my little siblings and I just yes. love them so much. And it was interesting because I left out a key part to the story. Um, I, before I went to had to turn myself in, I was terrified. Like yeah. I was so scared and yeah. like, I didn't want to go back and like I was forward and and I didn't want to go back but I was reading my patriarchal blessing and one of the things that it says is that God will work all things to the good of those who love him and then I read that and then later that day the missionaries came to my house and one of their message was that God works all things to the good and I, just two times in one wow. day. oh like, okay how okay like, all things like even jail like even <laughs> for jail to the good and but he did. He really did. And it was all like, it came full circle. And like, I wouldn't trade my experience with, you know, for anything with that family and then bringing me in and just showing me that Christ like love that they showed me. And like my relationship with Stacy, she's like one of my best friends. And I just, yeah. And anyway, so, you know, I, I did that. And then I ended up meeting my husband who has the same background as me. He has went through all the whole drug thing and everything. And we were about the same exact amount of time sober. Wow. And we I just noticed that he was like going on Facebook. I like saw him and I noticed he was like going back to church and doing good. And I actually met him at a church 12 step meeting when I was 18 and he got my phone number and we didn't talk for five years after that until we were both clean. No. And so Yeah. Just totally crazy. And but yeah, he then we got married and the rest is history. And now we have two kids and we've spoke many times at firesides and girls camp. And yeah, we've done a lot of different speaking engagements and things like that. And then I know we're running short on time. So that's my experience in coming back to the church. And I over the last like year, I've seen a lot of people that are leaving the church and saying why and talking about, you know, different reasons why they wanted to leave and and you know, it's very loud on social media. And yeah. I just felt like this prompting to start a podcast sharing people's stories of coming back to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and why they came back because my experience with coming back changed my life. Like I had tried everything. I had tried rehab after rehab after rehab after rehab and like I went to jail and I I tried everything to change my life and it was pretty miraculous how coming back to church it healed my heart and like now the person that I am today like I can't even relate to that person that I was like who was that person like Alma the Younger his change of heart it so accurately describes what I went through that I cannot deny like the authenticity of the Book of Mormon because I just relate to my core with what he experienced. And I feel like I have this message of the church is incredible and everything the church offers from, you know, just even the mere fact that the church asks us not to drink alcohol for the word of wisdom. Yeah. It like is so inspired. <laughs> right. Like right. I've seen alcohol ruin lives. And I've seen alcohol, you know, make marriages and relationships way more challenging than they need to be for and sure. rip the the joy from people's lives. And so just even that one little piece is yeah. so inspired. And anyway, so I just wanted to start my podcast and share the voices of those who have experienced the miracles of coming back to the church. And when I talk to you about the bookmark that I found and those little messages on the shirts and things like that, those little miracles, I've heard them in like all the other people's stories too. Like when you open your heart and you're like, I'm just going to see what happens if I open my heart to come back. Yeah. It God will literally direct you back and it's, it's incredible. And it's been so cool to do my podcast because it, there's so many hard questions in the church and, and it's opened up like, I wasn't really expecting it to open up this big conversation about faith crisis and stuff like that, but it has. And like, what comes along with that is people talking about why they experienced a faith crisis and talking about church history stuff and all that kind of thing. And, and that's never really been an issue for me because I had such a miraculous experience. And I'm like, I, that stuff is, it's like, so it's, it's a secondary question for me. Like I already know what I know and I've experienced what I've experienced. So that stuff isn't like a huge bother to me. I have had, you know. An experience where I was like really disturbed by polygamy, but I had like a really spiritual experience where with my dad, like I was asking my dad about it and I, I really relied on God to give me an answer and he did. And so that was just awesome for me to be able to experience what it's like to have a question and then to seek an answer through God and have him like have yes. him more about that question.
0: Well, and that he does answer questions. And I, there's this is just reminding me of the most incredible talk. It's called Stand Forever by Lauren. Okay. I've listened to that probably 50 times. It is, that's exactly what you're saying. That he's like, yeah. what are the, is God real? It Does it, it, does Jesus Christ, you know, exist? They have a plan for you. Did they organize their gospel through Joseph Smith? Mm -hmm. Is the church of Jesus Christ, is there a living prophet on the earth today? If those questions are real, like you said, then the secondary questions of, okay, why polygamy? Why women in the priesthood? Why all these other things that, that, that people may struggle with? He's like, but those are the secondary questions. And it's right. If you know the first ones, and it's not saying that you don't seek and ask questions, but there's a, I love where he says, people say it's okay to doubt. And he said, this is what he said. He said, I don't know about that. He said, it is okay to have questions and to seek right. answers. Doubting is different. Doubting is prove to me that this is right. I don't think it okay. is. So prove to me. Questions is more like I'm going to actively seek to find an answer, which we are asked to do. Okay. Seek, ask, knock. But we are asked not to doubt. Doubt not. Right. Fear not. Right. But we are asked to ask questions. And that's exactly what you did. You put in the work and and the effort and the hard soul searching and whether the answer was, here's why, or it was, here is what I will reveal to you later and here is peace in the meantime, yeah. answering that question for you. Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: And that's one thing that I've noticed with my podcast is that the answers that we get, they don't really satisfy the critics. Like the answers that you can get are personal. Yeah. They... They are like, for example, with my polygamy question, my dad, he mentioned that, you know, you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for your polygamous ancestors. Like he told me that. And I was like, that's a good point. And (laughs) yeah, and he brought out my great, great, great grandma's journal and shared her experience of polygamy and her witness that and it was so powerful for me. And then all of a sudden. It was like I saw the whole situation with new eyes, and I I thought behind of all these different possibilities of what I could have maybe not seen before of why, and it was a really cool experience. And and I don't know if you're familiar with Faith is Not Blind. Yes, yeah. So I have just been obsessed with this book because it is so it it really describes the process of your faith and overcoming like question or you know answering questions and. And then coming out on the other side with a more mature testimony. And it's been through the refiner's fire and it's been challenged and tested and tried. And you can come out on the other end with, like I said, just a more mature testimony. And I feel like it's been really cool for me to have these podcast interviews. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to like be talking about all these hard things and then like trigger something for somebody. But sure. But it. For me, I've just been kind of following the spirit of, you know, I think it's important that we talk about these things so that, you know, people aren't
0: hearing about it from someone that doesn't have a lens of faith. Well, and that people can know that no matter how far gone you are and what you've done, you can always come back. And I love that you brought up the Alma the Younger story that Heavenly Father prompted the prophets of old to include stories of forgiveness and redemption the prodigal son like there's a reason those are in the scriptures so people right. relate to that there are people that will never experience what you have and and will never go through that and there are others that will be at rock bottom and thinking well why don't i just quit what what, what is what is the purpose? Why even try to come back? And it's embarrassing. What will my ward think? I mean, there you, you it takes a lot of courage and faith to come back and to trust God again and have faith again. And I love that those stories are included in the scriptures to be like, but you can. And then look what you can do. Just like what you're doing now, you can take that and bless other people's lives and say there is hope for a beautiful life for a happier life and i'm sure it's not easy and i'm sure there's things that you still struggle with and can get triggered by and that you have to work at but that through the atonement it is possible it is yeah. possible to come back and have yeah. a beautiful life yeah totally and i one thing i want to add to
1: that is there is something really incredible about when you're you're out like you know, for me, when I first came back, it's like my picture, my arrest picture was on the county Facebook page. Everybody knew, everyone knew what was going on with me. And so when I came back, like I didn't, I didn't care what anybody was saying about me. I was going to church for God and for me. yeah. And I was going so that I could see if the Savior's atonement was really for me. And if I, you know, that is why I was there. And it was it. so anybody that's considering maybe coming back after what whatever challenge, it is a truly incredible experience to go to church solely for your relationship with God and to experience that. And like, you know, now as you go, keep, continue to go, it's like you're serving and you're helping other people and you're serving in your callings and things like that. But those early days were really special for me because it was just. I was there
0: to experience miracles and I did. Yes. Oh, I love that. I was there to experience miracles and I did. So Ashley, tell us where we can go to listen to your podcast, where if people want to learn more about your story or about other people's stories that, that have overcome hardships in their lives, yeah. where can they listen to that?
1: Yeah. So it's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. And it's just called Comeback Podcast. And my name's Ashley. There's no E in my name. And my last name's Stone. So I think if you just search Comeback Podcast, Ashley Stone, it will definitely come up. And we have a Facebook page that we also just started a book club. So in the book club, oh, no. we're reading the book for October is Crucible of Doubt. And one of my podcast guests that came back after a really challenging faith crisis, she's seriously incredible. She's in the book club, too. But her name's Alba. I 10 out of 10 recommend her episode. But she it was one of those books that helped her so much in her coming back to the church. And so that's book one. So if you want to join our book club. Go ahead. It's just for talking about faith, promoting experiences and stuff. So, and then yeah, we're working on a website to publish all of the stories, but um, that's coming soon. But yeah, podcast. It's awesome. Every story is just it's incredible. So
0: I love that you are doing that and that you are just. Honestly, sharing light and hope for people that are silently struggling with who knows what, whether it's doubts, addiction, a wayward son or daughter, that there's just a place for people to go and listen to say, oh, there's people that have struggled like me or like my child. And again, that there is hope and happiness. And this is the place to be. It's the place to be. It's the best place. Like you said, from little things like the word of wisdom to To, you know, keeping our covenants in the temple, to how we dress, how we talk. Like there is a reason, a beautiful reason for all of that. And you are a living example for that. And I am so grateful that you have taken the time to come talk to us today for being for opening up and sharing your story, which I'm sure is really hard to do. But Nan, I just I I know you are blessing lives and doing so much good. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to be here.